Cardinals Boot Camp Podcast. Hello. Hello. This is the podcast where four therapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, serve you cutting edge mental health knowledge. I'm Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. And I'm Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from Coquitlam. And I'm Joanna Boyd, also a registered clinical counselor from Coquitlam. And I'm Chris Boyd, psychotherapist from the greater Vancouver area. Welcome, everybody. Great to see everyone again. Enjoying the dog days of summer, I hope. Oh, man, I'm getting so many bites. I got a bite here and a bite there. Yeah, the mosquitoes are loving me right now. So definitely not looking or I'm looking forward to that part going away once it gets cooler. But otherwise. Are your mosquitoes large mosquitoes or tiny mosquitoes? I think we have a mix. Okay. I've seen both with my own eyes, but I think they're pretty decent size. Yeah. I don't know what Brooke and Chris would say. I feel like they're average, but I, I think that's just because that's what we have here. Like, I think I'm normalizing whatever one we have. So I don't know if they're in relatively large or small comparative to other areas of the world. Sure. They seem pretty small to me, um, but that's just my gut feeling. Yeah. I've, I've lived in Oregon. I've lived in California. It seems like the Oregon mosquitoes were larger. They're a little smaller here in California, but they are still as, just as much of a nuisance and they bother me. All right then. Well, all right then. So that's our pestilence report for the evening. <laughs> and uh, I hope that uh, everyone is, is doing good things for their mental health these days. Everyone's staying mentally healthy. Are you applying good self-care? Maybe you need to listen back to episode one of the Mental Health Bootcamp podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're all waiting for someone else to talk. I think I'm self-cared. I think I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just enjoying that moment of silence, you know, just unwinding. Having a mindful moment. A mindful moment. Yeah. Yep. Did a, took a nice swim after work at the lake. So that's part of my self-care kind of after that was really nice and very refreshing. So that was good. Yeah. Oh. Ryan, you look surprised. Is the lake water warm? It's the one I went to was actually quite warm. We also have another one nearby that's quite the opposite, quite cold. But yeah, no, it's it's very nice, very pleasant. Oh, sounds great. Just mm-hmm. to get off work and go swim in a lake. I really loved that. Yeah. We, yeah, it's not too far from my house. So it's I'm really fortunate. We don't have any water here in Southern California except for uh concrete little gullies that we call rivers and uh and in the ocean but yeah i miss lakes and rivers so i'm envious it sounds great mm-hmm. do you ever go swimming in the ocean i have for sure i haven't le- recently but every once in a while they have these these alerts saying oh sorry guys too much sewage in the ocean can't go swimming right now oh. Yeah, that happens up here too. A little bit of a turnoff on the old ocean swim. Do you have like a go-to beach that you go to down there? I do. I like going to 
Manhattan Beach and Hermosa Beach. I like those beaches the best, which are kind of south of the airport, south of Santa Monica. Um, but really nice areas and not too far away from where I live in Pasadena area. So about 45 minutes or so with without traffic. Mm. Yeah, it's great. I like being close to the beach. Some beaches, not all beaches, but some beaches have fire pits, and that's always nice, like sunset, have a nice big fire. Nice. Those are fun, too. Yes, good summertime activities. You know what is another good summertime activity? Reading and book clubs. <laughs> great. Right? It'd be like watching the Summer Olympics. That's what I was going to say. But uh, yes, too. reading. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Speaking so, of, we have a book club coming up soon. Yeah. In two or three weeks. Yeah. What book are we reading again? I actually just finished it. It's the More or Less Definitive Guide to Self-Care by Anna Borges. It's a great book. That's not our book club book, though, is it? <laughs> Chris, you're being facetious. It is called What Happened to You. Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing. And it's by Bruce Perry, Dr. Bruce Perry, and Oprah. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm about halfway through the book, and I'm listening to it. I'm not okay. reading it. I don't know. Joanna, are you going to read it or listen? You know what? I keep forgetting to cancel my prescription to Audible, so I'll be listening to it. <laughs> Subscription, not prescription. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. Yep. Thank goodness I caught myself, but yes, I'll be listening to it. Yeah. So the, and I'm sure Ryan and Chris will be listening as well. Uh, but you'll see it's it's interesting. It's a bit more conversational. So conversations is a good word to have in the subtitle there. Um, so Bruce Perry kind of does his thing, and then Oprah is Oprah. So she's a bit of a host. So she summarizes, connects some dots, and. So it kind of goes back and forth that way throughout the book with little snippets, audio snippets of um, segments of her show as well as she's highlighting different examples. So oh. it's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting to listen to. I'm curious what it would look like as a book. But. Oh, that's interesting. It sounds entertaining. It sounds like almost like a drama. It's great. Cool. All right. Well, we will get on that. What happened to you? And uh, we'll be discussing it in a few weeks. So run, don't walk. Go grab your copy now and uh, join us for a discussion in two or three weeks. Okay. Perfect. Well, you okay. guys, are we ready for the ambush? I believe so. Yes, sir. Okay. Mm -hmm. The ambush. One of us knows the topic. The other three don't. I am the ambusher tonight, and uh, it's a little different, a little different topic I've got for you guys. I invite you to, to put on your therapist hats. I mean, that's kind of our draw, right? We're poor therapists, so so let's uh, let's think about this one. All right, not something we've talked about before or we've written about before. I don't think. All right, that's enough of a lead up. You ready? Here comes the ambush. Mm-hmm. Stuckness and breakthroughs. What causes us to get stuck? Like in a job or a relationship or a mindset or an emotion or a habit. What causes us to get stuck and how can we break through? 
Is gradual change preferable to breakthrough? Can we work at breakthroughs or do they spontaneously happen? You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> this comes, let me, let me explain it or give you the context here. I, through the years, through the decades of, of working with clients, uh, stuckness tends to be a theme that some people bring in, right? I'm sure you've worked with folks who say, I feel stuck. I feel stuck. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm trapped in my job or I'm in a relationship or I have a habit of, uh, or a pattern of getting into relationships that have the similar sort of theme. You know, I was, I'm always drawn to someone who is less into me and I'm more into them, you know, whatever that might be. I feel stuck or trapped in something. Um, and they want, they want to know, how do I change this, right? And oftentimes people are looking for the breakthrough. And the thing is, is sometimes breakthroughs happen. They're like a big, and I guess I would define a breakthrough as like a, a more immediate change, transformation that someone experiences um, that might alter their life a great degree in a short amount of time. And... So those do happen. People people turn around their life in some ways, or they suddenly wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm never drinking again, or I'm never, I'm quitting my job and I'm going to go follow my passions or something like that. I'm leaving this bad relationship, whatever it is. Uh, but for a lot of our clients, it's a more gradual process, right? They go through gradual change and they you know, need to change one little thing at a time. And, and you know, those add up over time, but it takes it takes a while. So I just want to discuss stuckness and breakthroughs with you guys. Maybe we can have some examples and, and talk through like in your own life or when you're, you know, some cleverly disguised clients or whatever that might be, what that, uh, what that looks like. It's a great topic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of clients feel stuck. I think in some ways, I would dare to say every client feels stuck, which is why they're reaching out for help, right? Sure. There's something that they're just having a hard time changing. And I agree with you, Ryan. There's some clients where they just kind of need that like aha light bulb moment. And whether that's like a moment of realization or clarity or some of the dots connected and big change happens like rapidly after that and other clients it doesn't it's not that simple right i think a lot of people would love to have that aha you know lightning bolt sort of a moment like whoa suddenly everything all makes sense or suddenly i'm transformed that's why i asked the part of you know can we work at like kind of trying to create some of that can we can we facilitate a breakthrough or do they spontaneously happen because it seems like sometimes they just seem like serendipitous like mm -hmm. you know i was walking through the forest like who was, was it uh shapiro i was walking through the yeah. forest and <laughs> and suddenly i discovered emdr and now i have you know this healing modality it's, um, it's so interesting because i think a lot of times working with people you might be like okay i'm going to share this little tidbit and this insight that i see and they're it's just going to click with them and then it doesn't do that all the time and you're like yeah. dang it that didn't sit and you're just like shoot and then all of a sudden they like, cause they maybe not were ready to hear it. And then a session or two later, they might say, so I read this thing or I heard from this person and bam. And I was like, 
I told you that. <laughs> but it's, they obviously came about it their own way. But I just, in my head, I'm like, dang it. But um, obviously, however, they get to that point of being ready to receive the information or maybe you know, they heard it in a way that made sense to them or whatever. But I find that has happened a few times and I'm like, okay, so maybe the profound things I'm sharing are not ready to be, maybe they're not profound, a, or they're not ready to be received. Um, But yeah, anyways. Oh, Joanna, I totally resonate with what you're saying. Yeah. Sometimes you just like deliver this thing and you think it's going to be great. And the client just kind of like stares at you. Mm Mm-hmm. And then changes the topic. Yeah. They're like, mm-hmm. And so, well, I was yeah. like, no, And then no, it was no. at the grocery store. And I'm like, but, but did you hear what I said? Like, you can't really say that at therapy. You're just going to no. go where they go. But no. totally. I know the look you're talking about. Like the totally. computing, taking two seconds. Yeah. Anyways, what I was saying is, and then yeah. they totally switch. I, 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 I've shared that's a, a similar sort of uh, analogy with, with, students in the past like you be sometimes working with a client and it's not just clients sometimes these are just your loved ones or people around you friends you know in this they say you know what every time i turn right i, I get punched and then you say well maybe you should turn left oh, yeah. whatever every time i turn right i get punched it, it happens again gosh yesterday i turned right and i got punched well maybe you should turn left and then they come in one day and say oh my gosh maybe i should turn left right like, yeah yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah that's i right. know that's right. Similar sure. thing was it's yep. um yeah, trying to teach about breathing and all of this and and then like a while later they're like, so I listened to a podcast and it talked about breathing and it just really explained it in a way. And I was like, and she's like, it's just been, you know, it just made sense to me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I asked, I tried to learn. I tried to be like, what was it that hit home there, et cetera? Yeah, but of course. It's just kind of finding their things, but it's yeah. just anyways. of course. And we, we, we obviously recognize... can't force something. And we recognize Yes, we can't force it. We recognize that it's more important for them to gain the insight than for us to get totally. credit for it, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah exactly. I, I I didn't say that was something we already did. I was just like, I just want to learn more about how they came yeah. across it and what works yeah. for them. But yeah, and you're happy for them as well. The opposite yeah. sometimes happens too, where That's you what say I was just something, about to say. Yeah. yeah, you say something, and then they're like, "Oh wow, that was really profound." Can you say that again? <laughs> like, oh, uh, and then you try to <laughs> paraphrase it. Oh, I was thinking the opposite where they come back in like in a future session and they're like, you know, and then you said this really, this thing that really stuck with me and they tell you what you said and you're like, there's no way I said that. Like <laughs> just the language that they're using or like you remember the moment in your head, you're like, that is not what I said. <laughs> but you try and like work with where they're at and summarize like why that maybe resonated with them or whatever it is. Like, oh, sure. <laughs> Well, and, and, and even that, even, even some of the things that I do say that I don't think are very profound, right? Like I oh, might, yeah. I might, I might come up with some great interpretation, you know, you know, well, you were feeling stuck because the way your mother treated you, you know, whatever it might be. Right. And you had, and then that, that falls on deaf ears. And then as they're walking out the door, I say, Oh, you know, watch your step. And then they're like, you know what? You said, watch your step on my way out last time. <laughs> and that really meant, you know, I was like, what? Whatever, you know, if, that, if that's what works, that's what works. Great. That stuck with yeah. me. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's funny. We I guess that goes to the question of, you know, what, what creates the breakthrough? It, there is a little bit of randomness to it, it seems like. We're not really, we yeah. can't, we, we might think we can sort of create a breakthrough or, or, or build one, 
but it doesn't always seem to happen. Yeah. It doesn't always seem to happen or, or it happens in ways that we're not aware of. Yeah, I, I do think therapy is, is great for, the, um, for that though, because you know, we don't have a pre-existing connection with our clients and we do have a bit more objectivity compared to people within their social network. So we can help them kind of piece it together a little bit. It can be a very rewarding process. Just to plug our profession there, I think it's it can be a, a great space to to have that aha moment. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would agree. It's kind of like uh, the saying about like creating your own luck. Like you know, if, as long as you're putting yourself out there, if you're putting yourself in a in a situation where you might um, be able to stumble upon something some nugget, some pearl of wisdom, that's great. If no one's doing any introspection at all, then it's less likely they're gonna find their solution, right? Yeah, no, for sure. So back to stuckness, because Brooke, yeah. I, agree, I agree with what you are saying before that really you might be able to say that everyone who comes to therapy is feeling stuck in some way, right? And, uh, and just so we're kind of, I guess, defining our terms a little bit here as well, what what is it that causes us to get stuck do you think you know and i think that's a loaded question mm -hmm. what an onion that one is right is sure. uh my brain's jumping right away to you know early development and trauma and experiences and whatnot right so uh, for example i have a client that's stuck in a relationship pattern and yeah. she's aware of the pattern and whatnot but it comes it actually originated, which not totally surprisingly, but from her first relationship, which uh -huh. was, a, you know, she was young, she was a teen, but emotionally, it was really an important and a really big emotional relationship for her. And, and she realized that he was cheating on her with her best friend. Mm. It, like how she found out was very mm. shocking to her and is very um yeah it was very difficult and she was blamed for it and so there was loss and grief and and whatnot but then in future relationships it was like she was going into them almost like looking for a recorrective experience like this time it's gonna the ending's gonna be different even though i'm putting on the same movie mm -hmm. with a, well, realizing she needs the courage to put on a different movie. Wow. Yeah. Right? Like, so kind of looking for that, maybe this time it will be better and then it will prove that I'm not flawed and I am worthy and I'm lovable. And if the ending's different, then that's going to mean something about me, right? Mm. So when I'm looking at stuckness, I'm always looking at like, what is the purpose behind the stuckness? What is the stuckness mm -hmm. doing for you? What is it trying to tell you? Um, and for some stuckness, I think with certain behaviors, there's like an emotional regulation purpose, but and other times like this client where I think they're looking for a recorrective experience yeah. or there's right. a, the trauma stuck and it's just replaying the same trauma story over and over and over, um, right. for whatever reason, right? Oh, for sure. I like what you're calling a, a recorrective experience. There's, there's a cool term in, uh, in psychoanalytic work, they call a repetition compulsion, right? So like I'm, I'm compulsed, compulsively trying to repeat this thing. And, and a big part of it is, as you're saying, Brooke, it's like an attempt to 
I want, I want the same scenario, but I want to get it right this time, or I want it to have a better ending. You know, I want to have an emotionally distant partner who loves me completely. Right. Cause I had me, maybe my, my parent was emotionally distant and I never felt loved, but I want to have a corrective experience where I can finally get that love from someone who is emotionally distant, you know? And as yeah. you're saying, oftentimes the big aha moment is when they realize, oh my gosh, I've been going to a dry well for years. What am I doing? I need to start going to wells with water, you know? Exactly. Like what I'm doing isn't working. I need to do something else. Or even just understanding that that's um, like an irrational way or even focusing on those negative beliefs about the self that like that's not how you battle those. There's other ways that that isn't proof that you're worthy or lovable or, or whatever, like just untying or disconnecting those two pieces. Yeah. We are uh, habitual beings. So I think from a neurological perspective, the whole process of myelination. So, you know, the patterns, um, it's kind of like that tobogganing slope that we've talked about before for some down the hill and fresh snow, you don't go very quickly second third fourth or 20th or 50th time down that same track it's gonna be like an ice shoot eventually right so um it increases the chances of us um exercising certain patterns so ways of thinking or behaving or whatever that might be but it's interesting though because um familiarity often leads to a sense of safety and security Mm -hmm. and brooke uh, you had a good point there too just with the there's an emotional part to this like our implicit mind or our conscious minds a million times more powerful than our conscious mind. So sometimes these patterns develop without our knowledge of it and it may not seem logical, but it feels right. Right. So uh, because of the, uh, the uh, implicit mind is taking, taking control of the situation because it takes very little mental energy for, for that to happen. Yeah. So why not, why not continue it? Right. Yeah, so stemming from you know, those early experiences or, or challenges, and we develop these defense mechanisms to help us cope with it. And so it's usually a context there in terms mm-hmm. of why these habits and patterns have developed the way that we have. Right? And kind of on to that, Chris, like, yeah, it's the same, like, the yeah, what the nervous system's used to, right? If you kind of grew up in chaos or your nervous system was used to a certain environment, yeah. sometimes you might seek not really necessarily, you know, that implicitly, but kind of seek that out because that's what's familiar, right? You might um, you might not know what healthy relationships look like, or there might be just the chaos is what you're familiar with. You know, it's not healthy, but there's some kind of oddly enough peace there, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying people would willingly stay in anything, but it's just there's familiarity, like you said. Yeah. We're, we're talking a bit about relationships here, which is certainly one of the areas that people feel stuck. And, and um, we'll caveat here, which is, which is, I find interesting sometimes is uh, speaking of therapy, because of course, therapy is a relationship and the, the, the goal of therapy is for it to be a, you know, constructive, supportive, uh, you know, helpful relationship for people. And oftentimes, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with people in the past where they're like, oh man, I'm just, I always find myself in relationships with people who are trying to take me down or take, you know, I'm just drawn to these sorts of relationships and I'll, I'll bring in our relationship. So do you feel like I'm trying to take you down or I'm, uh, you know, I'm out to get you or I'm here to judge you and I'll say, Oh no, 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 but, but you don't count. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> you don't count because this is just therapy, you know, or I, I just pay you. So this doesn't really count as a relationship. And I've got to point out sometimes, well, actually, this is this is a relationship. Sure, there's a, a business component to this, but sometimes I'll, I'll say to clients, you, you pay me for my time and for my expertise, but you don't pay me to care. And uh, and I do. So if, and if you don't feel that, then that's something we should talk about. But, um, you know, yeah. this is a this may be part of that corrective experience that you're talking about, Brooke, you know. Maybe this is this is a, a step in, in a direction of a, of a healthier relationship and they can get to know what this feels like and know, oh, this isn't so bad. This is actually kind of nice. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can apply this in other places in my life, you know. Yeah. Uh, people get stuck in a job, you know, maybe they uh, a job they don't like. Um, they get stuck in a, in a mindset maybe they don't like, you know, they get a a thought process going of like, oh, I'm just, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm too judgmental or I'm too critical of people or I, uh, I beat myself up too much. And these are other ways that people get, get stuck sometimes too, or they get hung up on an emotion. Um, how do you think we get there? Is it similar stuff? Do you think like from a background? I do. Cause mm -hmm. I, a little bit more in line with you that way, Ryan, like a lot more, mm -hmm. how did this, how did this develop? Right. So I would want to know that like, they're kind of going down the train of like, okay, so if you're stuck at the job and you don't want to work there anymore and well, what's the worst case scenario? Like if you leave your job, the fear, of, like, what is the fear? What's the fear. worst case scenario of that fear? But then I take it a step further to say, and then what would that mean about you? Mm -hmm. So if the worst case scenario is you leave the job and you can't find out or you can't find another position quickly or no one hires you, no one hires you, I guess would be the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. What does that mean about you as a person? What's the negative belief that you're running from? Right. And then where did that negative belief even start from? So if that negative belief is I'm a failure. Okay. Well, where is where in your life did you believe that that could be valid? Like, how is that? Why is that so scary? Where is that coming from? When did you experience that? Because it goes beyond just quitting the job. It's not that simple. There's probably sure. something heavily tied to this, right? And I'm always curious, where where does that go? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think uh, the thoughts have so much to do with it in terms of keeping us stuck those those instant beliefs so we talk about cognitive distortions or thinking in ways that work against us or beliefs you have about ourselves that we can't we can't accomplish it or we can't do it we're not good enough yeah so shedding light on it i'm assuming if someone's coming in there they they think they're stuck then there's some awareness there that they're not achieving certain goals they set out for themselves um, but they may not know the, the you know to both your points the the cause of it or the root of it or what's getting in their way. They may have the intention, they may have the motivation, but the follow through is not, not happening. Mm. Mm -hmm. And the, you're saying the thoughts, like negative self-talk, that sort of thing, where people tell themselves, oh, you can't do that. You can't, I couldn't possibly leave this job. I would be, I would fail at anything else, right? Nobody yeah. will hire me. I won't be successful. I'll be unemployed. Yeah, that being said, I guess those those feelings too, though, 
the fear. I think a lot of it really does boil down to fear. And sometimes fear is not a thought. It's just a, a gut feeling that you have, a sensation that's holding you back. So you know, eat my words a little bit there and say it's like, could be a combination of those two. <laughs> I think it's it's okay to for the the, the interplay, right? The thoughts, scary thoughts, right? Yeah, sure. I guess it could be a feeling or the thoughts or combination of the two. Yeah, but something's happening there, and often it's within a millisecond or a split second that you decide not to engage in that change that you you want to see happen. Exactly. I'm I'm reminded of the. Seeming seems like a very popular quote these days from Anais Nin that you guys have probably heard before or seen on a tattoo or something somewhere. Uh, it says, "And the day came when the risk to remain a tight remain tight in a bud was more painful than a risk it, the risk it took to blossom." The day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. So, discomfort. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this this idea of there's there's fear there's fear in both places, right? Being being stuck in a job that you don't like is miserable, but it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't know, right? What's going to happen if I leave if I leave here? Um, and at some point, a lot of times people are kind of waiting for that that boiling point to to occur, you know, where it's like, oh, now I'm so uncomfortable in this job, now I will finally take that leap. Um, yeah. Because the leaping is scary, but uh, but I'm more scared of the unknown. So I'll stay in a miserable job instead of leave it, because I'd rather know what I'm de- dealing with. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. So that motivation may shift in drastic ways. Mm-hmm. A big life event could happen. You know, I know a lot of people. It might be medical. So if it has to do with their physical health and decisions that they're making, that could lead to it. I know when it comes to addiction, sometimes hitting that rock bottom will shift that perspective a bit and propel people to make some changes. Um, so yeah, I think it can be that big thing, or it could be those really subtle changes too, which we have to, you know, that often becomes the focus of, of therapy too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You're right. Yes, I mean there are a lot of people who who become very very healthy after a heart attack, right? And it's like that wake up call that they kind of need, like, oh my gosh, you know, what was I doing? I need to, I need to, life is precious. I need to treat it, treat it that way. Um, or like you said, like with addiction or, yeah. you know, a relationship that just needs to sour just enough. It needs to get so rotten that you have to leave, you know? Yeah. So I do think that's true. I guess that's one way to look at like the discomfort the discovery gets so bad that you are then forced to change because changing is scary and, and fear holds us back. Yeah. yeah. There also needs to be some confidence, I think, when we're talking about the breakthrough part. Some uh, confidence in yourself that you are resilient, that you, mm-hmm. that you do have courage and strength and you're able to. You're able to make change. You can figure it out. You can troubleshoot. You can grow, um, and being assured in yourself of that, and that you have a support network to help you. And um, there's all these different resources available. And I think that's a part of the preparation for the breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Somebody might, yeah. It's interesting what they're the final moments of like 
the last straw is for people. It could be something small, it could be something big, but I think before that moment happens, there's been a lot of mental preparation of looking at things or, yeah, whether it's looking at job postings or self-help books or healthier ways of eating or whatever. And then there's a final straw moment where it's like, I can do this. Yeah. Enough. This is enough. I'm going to move forward. Yeah, for sure. Have we talked about motivational interviewing here before? I, don't I think it's remember. been mentioned, but we haven't done like a podcast on it. Right. Like the stages of change stuff. Mm-hmm. Stages of change. And then also, yeah, stages of change is interesting because that's where we look at people who are considering whether or not they want to change something about their life. Say you want to quit smoking, right? And someone says, you know, well, yeah, I've heard smoking kind of a bad thing for you, but I'm going to keep doing it anyway. So they're in a very what we would call pre-contemplative phase, right? They're not really even considering changing. They just kind of are aware that maybe it's a good idea. And then kind of going up the the levels there, someone who's like, yeah, I really would like to change. I'm just not ready yet. Or uh, yeah, I definitely want to change, just not right now. (laughs) Or um, I can see how smoking's bad. It's yeah. probably not that like starting to see the the risk in the behavior or why that behavior might need to change the reasons for change mm-hmm. start coming up next. Yeah. 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 And then it's, yes, I definitely want to change. Maybe I don't have the tools or I need some help or something like that. You know, people are, are more motivated to do it. And, and the whole field of motivational interviewing kind of comes along and, and tries to assess that and then asks, asks somebody, and this is usually, it's usually applied in addiction uh, fields, uh, you would ask someone, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you want to change this? And they would say, uh, six. And then, the, then they would ask, okay, well, why is it a six and not a zero? You know, well, because I do want to change it to some degree. Okay. Then why is it a six and not a 10? Well, because I don't really want to change it. It's like, I'm scared. I'm scared. I will fail. I'm scared of, I like you know, it. I like it too much. I don't really want to leave it behind. That sort of thing. And then what would, okay, so let's say that you keep doing the same thing that you're doing. What would that be like in five years and 10 years? Oh, that'd be horrible. Well, what's going to get you to do this to make, so it's really taking a a microscopic look at that motivation and that change process and saying, what do you really want in your life? And oftentimes this helps people to make make big significant shifts, at least with when it comes to uh, negative behaviors and addictions. And is that a a good summary? I'll I'll put a link in the podcast for for it. There's there's a lot of great stuff with motivational interviewing. It's people, it kind of developed as an alternative to AA, to uh, 12-step groups and like Alcoholics Anonymous, because it doesn't Mm -hmm. include a, a higher power or anything like that. It's just taking a look very closely at your motivation. And uh, a lot of people find it beneficial. There's also, it also normalizes that it's not linear. Um, When we're looking Mm -hmm. at a stages of change model, you're not going to necessarily go through the stages in order and then stay in those stages. You might jump back and forth Mm -hmm. throughout the day or even the hour or depending on the stress level or whatever it is. Um, And they also normalize sometimes falling back into old patterns or old habits and and that trying to take that judgment away to say that's okay that's a normal part of the process let's get you back on track 
let's yes. not get restuck. Let's acknowledge it and move forward. And maybe that change process will happen a little quicker the second time. Sure. It, it also really normalizes a, a bit of ambivalence, you know, like yes. people, if someone says, Hey, uh, I'd like to, I'd like to start working out, you know, it's easy to point to them and say, well, why are you doing it then? You know, it's not all or nothing. You know, people have ambivalence. They, they part of, part of me wants to, part of me doesn't want to, or I'm 60% there, but not a hundred percent there. And, uh, and this just helps you to take, acknowledge that, accept it, take a look at it and say, all right, what do I really want for my life? You know? Yeah. And sometimes as therapists, we get stuck. I think you mentioned that before a bit. No, we don't. Um, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Like we might be aware that clients are stuck and try to help them through it, but you know, sometimes it's good to just reflect if, if therapy stagnant or if we feel like we're just at a loss of how to help someone. Um, yeah, it happens, happens um, more often than not sometimes. And so it's just good to, you know, whether consultation or kind of just check in about what is it that I'm having trouble with with this client and kind of do some work there. So that happens on our side too. It's not just the client. But. Absolutely. And that's why as, as therapists, we oftentimes have our own therapy. We have supervisors or consultants. We have, uh, you know, colleagues that we, we run ideas by. We go to uh, workshops and read books and continuing education stuff so that we can try to recognize the, the places where we're, we're stuck maybe and uh, are able to say, hey, I need to, I need to get some help here. What, what are my blind spots, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We lose objectivity when it comes to our own lives. So you need that outsider perspective at times, <laughs> clinically as well as personally. That is absolutely true. Yes. I, I had a colleague who, who lost a close loved one in the last uh, few years. And they actually, the, the people in their own caseload who were dealing with grief, they decided that they, they weren't going to be able to work with them objectively. So they referred them out temporarily for, for other help, which I thought well, that's an interesting move, you know, to say, Hey, look, I, I don't, you know, this, this hits too close to home. I think I'm going to bring too much of my own pain into this work. And so, um, you know, for the next month or two, why don't you consult with a colleague of mine instead of me? Um, and that was a good move for them. So I think it's uh, good care for themselves and good care for their clients, you know? Mm -hmm. Interesting, yeah. 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 So, okay. Uh, gradual change versus breakthrough, right? We've been talking a lot about breakthroughs and about how we maybe can facilitate this, but, uh, you know, we've talked before about habits and, and, and small, small changes that people can make in their lives, you know? as we talk about self-care and all these different things that we talk about to help people, you know, make kind of incremental gradual change. Um, are these, do you think these are in opposition, these ideas of breakthrough versus gradual change? Do you think they work together? Um, how yeah, do you I feel think you have that? to define what a breakthrough is. Like, are you saying a breakthrough is like change that happens quickly or is a breakthrough 
a moment of clarity with an aha moment, but that's more cognitive than it is behavioral. Like, sure. And can you do the behavioral without the cognitive? Like I'm thinking about a friend that continually, I've known this friend, oh gosh, I don't even know how long now, 25 years. And she's always trying to quit smoking, right? So then a breakthrough moment in behavior would be her being like, that's it. I'm going to quit smoking. And there she goes. She decides no longer to smoke. But what do you know, in a month or whatever, she's smoking again. So is that a breakthrough because the behavior changed? Or is it the moment where it's like, I don't want my lungs to be like this. This is not okay. Kind of that deeper, whatever that might be. Um, and then making the behavior change. Like what, what do you think, Ryan? What is a breakthrough? Uh, I, I guess I see it as, as the whole package there. It's like, I, I come to a, a, a light bulb moment, a, uh, a cognitive breakthrough. And then as a result, my behavior changes, right? Like, oh my gosh, I've been, you know, my whole career has been based on my grandfather's dreams and not about my own life. And so, damn it, I'm going to start doing things for myself, right? So uh, then they chart that course and go for it. Or suddenly they say, I am sick and tired of being, uh, you know, out of shape. So I'm going to run an ultra marathon. So boom, often they go do it. Again, these are rare and, and often not that dramatic, but sometimes people come to these big kind of life-changing insights that uh, that actually result in major change in their life. Uh, I'd like to add to that breakthrough, like an emotional breakthrough opposed to a cognitive. Well, there we go. Sure. We do those, or I like those. My clients probably find them very uncomfortable, but that moment where you hit the spot where they needed to maybe release emotion and sure. uh, it's been pent up and there's typically a lot of tears mm -hmm. or something, a visceral physical response happens and it's typically a big one. Um, and then they're good. Something yeah. changes after that, yeah. Yes, I will, I will second and third and fourth that one. Emotional breakthroughs are some of the bigger ones in uh in therapy especially right something's been kind of pent up held back and finally and, and often out of fear or out of some or irrational or belief or loss it's something something that's there that i'm holding on to because i don't want to lose control or i don't want to go nuts or i don't want to uh look foolish or whatever that might be and then they finally say okay i'm ready to let it let that guard down and boom it all comes crashing out very cathartic, very, very healthy healing stuff comes from that. Those yes. are big moments. Mm -hmm. Okay, so breakthrough, better versus slow change. What's better? I don't know that it's an either or, but I just wondered if they if they need to be in opposition or are they uh, can they work together? Can they be friends? I think they could be friends. Sorry, Chris, you look like you're about to go there. No, no, I'm um, just breathing. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, gosh, I think if you, you have to kind of be open, you know, ideally there might be a breakthrough if you feel like it's a necessary thing. Sometimes there's clients who are kind of on the slow change train and 
you know, their breakthrough might happen that could expedite things, but sometimes it might just be slow moving and kind of hit barrier after barrier and kind of, you know, and that could just be what therapy is, right? Um, or it could be like a breakthrough and then maybe the behavior doesn't, or there isn't a huge shift, but then that kind of opens a new door. Um, and so I think it's, I don't think they're in opposition. I think it's, um, yeah, they're both good in their own way. Yeah, I agree. It kind of depends on the individual. Yeah, so it could be a combination or it could be one or the other. Sure. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, too, like there are some ways to increase the probability of having a breakthrough. I read a while ago that uh, spending time in nature increases the chances of having a breakthrough. Uh, being open and talking to people different, again, different perspectives from people in your life. So a variety of perspectives can also lead to a breakthrough. That's great. I'm not sure if you guys have heard anything else, but those are a couple that popped in my mind. I think, yeah. I mean, I think you're talking about, you know, some things that are very, some people find very helpful are, are what they call experiential weekends, right? Whether it's a, uh, like a couple's weekend or sometimes like, uh, there's, there's a group down here called Outward Bound where they go and do like climbing adventures and hiking adventures and like have a have a solo day where you have to kind of spend time. But these are very experiential things that people attend and it's often a very behavioral thing and there's a lot of kind of pushing towards emotional, uh, you know, pushing on emotional barriers, trying to trying to elicit some breakthroughs. They come with some mixed reviews. Some people say, yeah, they're, they're kind of pushing too hard. It was <laughs> maybe it felt mm -hmm. like it was um, I was I was fabricating my emotions or whatever that might be. But I know that some people really do have some profound change at some of these experiences. Um, and if any listeners have been on experiences like that, they can write us at info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com and let us know because I'd be curious to know. Now, I've had a lot of clients who've gone on some of these sorts of weekends and they found that it was really powerful, even if it feels a little contrived, it can still kind of get into um, kind of breakthrough moments. Yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, often having a group of people together, mm -hmm. uh, displaying emotion or, you know, sharing personal stories can, can create a, yeah, maybe yeah. a dynamic for growth and change. Yes. Uh, mixed reviews, of course, but there was there was actually an article in Psychotherapy Networker a few gosh a year or two ago about one one of our reporters went to a uh, a family constellation group they called it mm -hmm. right and family constellation is where you go and you you use participants there's like twenty people there and you use people to kind of make a, a psychodrama right they make they like pull people out of the crowd to represent, okay, you're going to be like my mom, you're gonna be my dad, I'm going to position you in this way, in the room, and you're going to kind of interact in these ways. And by doing that, they, they kind of recreate some some experiences from their past and can have some some big revelations and some big breakthroughs as well. I, I don't, I'm not really all that familiar with that modality. But, it, uh, but some of those things that are intentionally kind of pushing for those experiences, I think can be helpful for some people. Yeah. It's by design. I've heard too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of curious, uh, more of a therapy question. Are there certain uh, 
theories within psychology that are more designed for breakthrough moments versus those who are designed for more gradual change? Ooh. Like EMDR for rapid breakthrough? EMDR, you know, I know Ryan's a psychodynamic psychologist, um, often looking at the why and putting those pieces together. Cognitive behavioral therapy, one of our go-to techniques is often a little more gradual. So awareness of patterns and structured ways to shift and change. I mean, it's interesting you put it that way, Chris, because like, I mean, one of the things that that psychodynamic work is known for is long-term therapy, you know, that, uh, that builds, you know, it's, it's known for several years, many years of people working and it's a lot about the, the therapeutic relationship and how are we interact with each other and kind of what emerges They say that like therapy is kind of a microcosm. What happens in your life will also happen in therapy. So it's kind of a slower burn in some ways, but also the interpretations that, that we give uh, are supposed to kind of elicit some, some light bulbs, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, ah, so you, you know, you're scared of me. You were also scared of your mother and maybe that's why you're scared of your wife or whatever that might be. Right. Yeah. And uh, those kind of, ah, those moments can be enlightening. There's, there's one form of, of dynamic therapy. It's called intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy, which is supposed to be like 12 sessions long. And it is incredibly intense. And the, the therapist and the client are sitting face-to-face -face pretty close to each other. And the therapist is just pointing out like every defense mechanism that the, that the client has like, Oh, you're using humor, you know, get back to your feelings. You know, why are you, why are you avoiding the topic? You're paying me, you know, you're paying me hundreds of dollars for this therapy. Why are you uh, wasting our time? I mean, really confrontational. They actually call, they call the intervention a head on collision. And, wow. and the idea is that that's supposed to really, um, uh, traumatized and uh, well for and then some, you refer them to a colleague who then treats them for five years <laughs> we're on to you they they actually they i don't do this work they they, they, they screen people very much so so they hope they're not going to be traumatized i like take take some of this this very strong confrontation but um yeah. but the idea is that you're going to break down the defenses really quickly and get to what what's really going on uh, within a few sessions. Yeah. Uh, not my line of work, but so anyway, that's a great question, Chris, what, what, what creates some more of these, uh, breakthroughs and, and so psychodynamic stuff on the one hand, way too long. On the other hand, the interpretations are supposed to turn on some light bulbs. Yeah. In your, uh, in your talk, I missed the talk about therapy and kind of, uh, was it media or mainstream kind of media do you yeah. talk about goodwill hunting yes it oh, yeah it was just like rapid fire what about this show oh, and this okay. movie and this uh, oh man i thought about breakthrough in terms of like robin williams saying it's not yeah. your fault it's not your fault no he just kept going and then it was just this big thing anyways i think about that as a you know he kind of pushed it there because anyways matt damon was that's really a great example but he just kept going he kept uh and he was in an uncomfortable position but he had that breakthrough but they had been seeing each other for a while too so there's a lot of stuff going on there but anyways i think it's a great example of the emotional breakthrough right i mean matt damon had not cried he hadn't gone to any of his pain and then he robin williams pushed him pushed him there i mean literally pushed him in this movie a couple times but uh 
yeah. yeah, then he had this breakthrough and then suddenly he was fine. I'm going to California later. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good reminder that uh, movies and pop culture can provide opportunities for these breakthroughs as well. But, but I, I think breakthroughs are a lot more exciting of a topic. That's why we're not talking about more of the gradual change. Uh, a lot of... Uh, <laughs> True. But I a think a breakthrough is part of the gradual change process. Okay. If that and makes if, any sense, because I, I like the stages of change. So in the stages of, of change, uh, one of those stages is preparation. And I think that people do a lot of preparation. They, they think a lot about their change. They might research or read or get feedback from friends or family or whatever that might be. There's a huge preparation piece. And then there's something where that final straw happens, where the breakthrough moment and then behavior change happens after that. So I think seeing the change after the breakthrough, you feel like it's rapid, but this person might've been on this process for six years. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So there's a bit of a breakthrough in terms of increasing motivation to change, and then that change should be gradual beyond that point. Well, the, gra this, the change would have started when they started thinking about changing. Yeah. So they might've been thinking about doing something for years, and that's all the preparation, right? But then maybe there's this pivotal moment, whether it's, you know, cognitively thinking about something a different way or learning a new piece of information or being yeah. scared by something. And, and then all of a sudden the behavior change happens and we're like, wow, that was really rapid, but you don't see behind closed doors that they've been working on this for years. Yeah, totally. Yes, I guess I was... I, I was kind of a leading question there because I have my own idea, I guess, about this this idea too of, of gradual change versus breakthrough. And it, some of it has to do with the, the media stuff because, you know, the media, what was show in movies and on TV, like Dr. Phil is all about the breakthrough, the one episode breakthrough, you know, come on in, you got a messed up life. Let me throw some, some platitudes at you and we'll hug it out and everything's better, right? And uh, it's all about this quick fix breakthrough. And a lot of movies are, are certainly about that too. And I don't blame them. That's entertainment. It's, it's, it's better, to, better viewing than, uh, than a lot of what therapy really is, which is gradual change and over slow, you know, slow burn over a long amount of time. But I'll say of, of my life, of my couple decades plus of therapy, it's been a lot of slow, gradual change punctuated by gosh, a half dozen breakthrough moments, you know, that were, that were big breakthroughs for me. Like, oh, wow, this is great. That doesn't mean I'm done with the work. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I'm stopping uh, introspecting. Like I suddenly have the one answer and now I can leave like Goodwill Hunting. Um, it's more like, oh, that was really, that was a big moment. Things all kind of came together. I, I understand more. And now I can integrate that into my life and now I can continue the work. Now I can keep uh, keep looking deeper and see what else is in there, you know? Yeah. So for me, that's that's kind of what it's been like for me. Um, those breakthrough moments are, are cool. They're powerful. But, uh, you know, they, you just, I don't think you can just hope that that's all that life is going to be or that's all that therapy is going to be. Very true. No, I, I totally agree. A lot of it is that gradual change. But there's a lot of people that they have the, yeah, they have the perspective, they have the motivation, but uh, they come, come back and say, oh, I didn't really 
do anything to work towards that. So, you know, I know we talked about habit change in the past, but having an external accountability can be helpful and trying to disrupt uh, sure. patterns or um, tacking on new patterns to existing ones um, can be helpful sure. too, but often coming up with a bit of a game plan and taking some steps um, because often we, there's a fallacy there. I think that we just think that we can change things absolutely drastically. Maybe that can happen with one of these aha breakthrough moments, but to your point, Ryan, it's often a, a, a longer process there. So. I mean, life is pretty long. We, <laughs> we can't have a breakthrough every day. Can we? You got to just keep plugging along a lot of that, a lot of times. Then we have these big moments. So, yeah. So I hope that, uh, that answered my questions. You guys, <laughs> you helped me understand stuckness and breakthroughs a lot better. Me too. I appreciate all your feedback. That was good stuff. So yeah, let's. That was a good one. That was a good one for sure. Well, cool, cool. Well, let's let's wrap it up for now. Then, if we if we will, and uh, we will say good night, everybody. Good night, and everyone. We'll good night. Say, Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, and. Send your questions to info mentalhealthbootcamp.com or visit us on Facebook, Instagram. Tell a friend or two or uh, anyone who needs a breakthrough, send them to our podcast. All right. And uh, thank you for continuing your repetition compulsion for listening to our podcast. And we will say goodnight, everybody. Bye.